you remember, we're here last week. I'll remind you if you weren't. Let me just catch you up. Last week we began in the book of uh, or chapter Genesis three together, looking at primarily the temptation and disobedience. And so we've been working through the book of Genesis. We won't go all the time verse by verse, but really beginning sections, which I think are foundational uh, to all of the Bible, but also foundational to your life and how you're trying to figure out who is God, how does God work, uh, what's his workings within our uh, history and then within my life, how you look at Genesis and define God to be will directly affect your life today. And so I just, again, would submit, if you have concluded uh, through your own thinking that God is a God who created everything and then just took his hands off it and watched it all happen, um, well, then you didn't really look at Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, because that tells us that God did not just create and walk away, but God continued to be involved in his creation. And in fact, if you kept reading through the scriptures, you would see that to be a consistent theme, that God continues to be involved with his creation. So again, how you view God really is driven out of how you walk through the book of Genesis. So last week, again, this temptation and disobedience, you had three characters on the scene here in the Garden of Eden. You had the, the serpent, you had Eve, and you had Adam. Certain, we, we know, is, is primarily Satan taking this form, indwelling perhaps, and then tempts Adam and Eve, and, and frankly, their response to Satan's tempting or suggesting is to trust the serpent more than God and his word. And remember how Satan kind of painted everything in a negative light. He said, did God tell you don't eat from that tree? In fact, God didn't say that. He said you can eat from all the trees, just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Um, he, very positive, right? God says, eat from, man, I want you to be provided for. I want you to be cared for. I'm, I'm a good God who cares about you. And when Satan posed that question, he says, hey, didn't God say don't eat from that tree? And there's a drastic difference in how that gets posed. See, God continues to be a good God who cares for his creation. He gives good instruction, and he gave good instruction to Adam and Eve because he is good and because he cares about them. And God continued to give that good instruction through the giving of his word that we have here today. And there's that continual call that you and I have in our lives to trust God, to know Jesus, and to believe his words. See, today the result of the unwillingness to trust God will be revealed. Really, the, the, the result of a choice is revealed. And that happens in our lives too, right? Our choices always have consequences. So if I choose to take a day off, or if you choose to take a day off from work, what will be the consequence of that? You might feel rested. Maybe you can get that to-do list kind of knocked off that you've been putting off for some time. All right? You might feel just kind of a breath of fresh air from that relief of that routine that you drive all the time. But consider also that, on the other hand, that taking a day off will slow down productivity for wherever you work. That perhaps it even stops the ability from a coworker accomplishing a task because you weren't there to do your job. Perhaps even by spending time with someone, right, you can't spend time with someone else. And the reality that a single person has freedom to come and go far beyond a married person. And that single person puts that to a test, right? They buy a dog, and they see their cycle of life become a little bit more limited. They say, hey, let's just get married. 
Let's have kids. And now more people are relying upon you. All of that was impacted by choices someone made. It's seen almost every choice of life, there are consequences. Not all are negative, not all are cataclysmic, but most will result in something else happening. Most things that you and I do in life has an impact on something else in our lives, if not somebody else in our lives. And I'm not saying these things to paralyze you. Like, I, Kim and the boys are away, and, and Netflix and I had a, had a fun time yesterday watching movies that I just wanted to watch. I haven't watched as Kim would want to watch them, all right? Uh, she's not interested in people. The Bonnie and Clyde story is a fascinating story, all right? And, uh, but then I thought later that night, that was a large chunk of my day. That I could have done something else. And I wasn't regretful of it. I was just kind of analyzing my day. Right? That choice had a consequence on me. Nobody else. I don't think my choice to watch Netflix affected you yesterday. I don't know. Maybe it did. Right? But everything we do has, has a reaction. Right? It has a, a consequence that rolls out of it. And again, it's not meant to paralyze us, but I think it's meant to cause us to pause to consider the choices that you and I make and what might be the effect of making them. Right? There's the obvious side of this equation, that, that negative choices. Don't make negative choices that will affect you or someone else negatively. But often the one making the negative choice has not considered all the ramifications of the choice they're making. The drunk driver does not consider that driving home drunk may have a negative effect on someone far beyond them. As they cross that middle lane and hit the other car head on, and that life is taken, which could leave a child without a parent with issues for the rest of its life, that was made by that one person's decision to drive a car after drinking too much alcohol. Right? There are cause and effects, and we don't always think about how those things will play out. See, for Adam and Eve, the, the path that they just embarked on in the garden with the serpent has its effects that stretch far beyond just themselves. The effects of their decision in the garden not trust God and his words affect your life, my life. In fact, they affect every life from that point moving forward. See, their choice of disobedience set right, an existence in the world that would be far from its intended purposes. And we get into that today. Genesis 3 is a direct effect in your life and my life today. With that kind of back thought in mind, let's just read it together. Genesis 3, 14 and 24, the remainder of the chapter. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. 
And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man at the east of the garden of Eden. He placed a cherubim, the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. So again, just last week, right, God is in the garden. He was looking at them. He's walking around for Adam and Eve. They disclosed that their new state by saying they were naked and they were afraid and they, they were ashamed and they hid from God. Right, God, remember, God asked the question, which, by the way, God knows the answer to this question, okay? But he asks it. He wants to hear them and their confession, I believe. says, you know, rather than admit Fault for Adam and Eve, they start pointing fingers. Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent. God, in his all-knowing power, understands completely what happened. And just like our choices have consequences, so didn't this choice to all those involved. First, let's just kind of walk through these consequences. So first, the serpent. Really, there's many that happened. Remind of the serpent, right, who is Satan, he was more crafty, it says, than any of the beasts of the field. It says his primary consequences. The first thing is this, is that he was now cursed. So in that moment, the serpent is cursed. What's going to happen to it? Well, it's going to go around on its belly. So from this point on, it's going to be its state. It indicates that perhaps it wasn't always this way. We don't really know, but perhaps the serpent was walking upright I mean, you consider what was said about the serpent, right? It was more crafty than any what? Any beast of the field. Well, beasts of the fields have legs, typically, that walk around, right? That's how the you know, field-dwelling animal will be described that way. So now we kind of get this indication that maybe the serpent had those things, and now one of its consequences is a natural consequence. It will go around. It will eat dust. Simply, its existence will be very unpleasant from that point on. That's a direct effect that, again, this serpent creature has in a physical form on planet Earth. And then God goes on and says that there will be enmity between the serpent and Eve. What is enmity? It's rather, it's hatred. It's hostility. One commentator said it this way, it's a blood feud that will continue on to all generations. See, the relationship is now one of tension. Right? There's enmity between the serpent and Eve and her offspring, and it will continue to go on. Verse 15 told us, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. This tension, this kind of this tor- turmoil will, will be consistently present. Life will not be easy. And in fact, that tension will bring itself to a climax. Well, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. You see here, right here, it is really given a great indication of what is coming for this crafty Satan serpent. That there will be conflict. That a future offspring will have direct conflict with the serpent. And in this conflict, there will be effects. Now, there is a bruising of a heel. And I believe what this is, is really, it's a foreshadowing. 
that Satan will have a bruising of the heel, kind of a temporal pain, if you will, of this future individual. But don't mistake what is said about Satan. There will be a bruising of a head that will be given back. Have you ever jumped off something and landed on your heel? That can hurt, right? Landon's been walking a limp. And it says my heel hurts recently. I don't know why. You ever had a bone spur? Man, painful. You ever been hit in the head? I did. Lots of times. One time comes to, to mind here. When I walked up behind my brother, I was probably seven. And as he was building a tree fort, he swings his hammer back. And that claw, that hammer went through my ear into my head. <laughs> um, it hurt a lot more than my heel hurts when I jump and land wrong. And that's meant to imply here, right, with clarity. That in this foreshadowing of what will happen to the Satan, there's a judgment of death. That was signed. See, again, there is the difference between a heel being bruised and a head being bruised. The difference is staggering. In fact, in this moment, God himself is talking about the second part of the Trinity, Jesus coming to earth. It will ultimately, this prophetic word by God will be fulfilled in Christ. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he, being Christ, was made him, sorry, sorry, God, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here, Paul reminds us that this was Jesus going to the cross. Jesus' words in John 12 says this, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of the world be cast out. Preceding the cross, Jesus himself talked about what will happen to Satan. You see, there's conflict with Satan here. But there's a future coming, and it has already come, where that offspring was bruised on the cross for your sake and for my sake, so that your sins would be forgiven and you might know your Savior, and your eternity would be secure. And some would say, well, it doesn't seem like there's been a a hitting of the head, a crushing of the head, if you will, for Satan. He's still here. He's still working. And so for that, let's look ahead to Revelation 20, verses 1 through 3. It says, then I saw an angel. Man, this is prophetic. This is what will come. Then I saw an angel coming down from the heavens, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit in a great chain. And he sees a dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until a thousand years were ended. And after that, he must be released for a little while. So you see now twice a second kind of of this crushing. But he's going to be released, it says. Let's jump to verse 10 in chapter 20, Revelation. The end result, and the devil who has deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beasts and the false prophets were, and they'll be tormented day and night forever and ever. Like There is an eventual wiping out of Satan eventually it will all come to fruition. And, and what will that totally look like? I think something like this. I don't know what that fully means. I can't comprehend it all. But what I know is all of this really wraps up that statement made by God to Satan in the garden. That the end would be grave for this deceptive serpent. 
Because that took it, he, the serpent took what God loved most and he broke it. Humanity's covenant relationship with God was now broken by the result of the serpent's deception. And that result simply could not go unpunished. Yes, surely the choice of disappointment by Adam and Eve was theirs, and their consequences are weighed out as well. But the temptation was brought upon by Satan, whose sole objective was to destroy and shatter everything God held dear. But that did not leave Satan innocent. But in fact, he's under judgment as well. So that's the consequences given to Satan. To some extent, you might sit there and say, well, okay, great, that has no effect on me. Well, it does, right? Because Satan is active. He is moving. Right? He is constantly trying to, to tempt, right? to bring in things in your life and my life that will distract you and I from the Lord. But take heart. Satan and God are not equals. Do you notice that when, when God doled out the judgment on Satan, Satan didn't say, no, I don't think so. I'll play my cards now. There was never that call back. They're not equal. Though he works, he's called the ruler of this world, he is not the king of all kings. God alone is. But there are consequences given to Eve and to Adam. So let's look at Eve first. Verse 16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, one could conclude that's pretty short-lived compared to what Serpent just got. But God gives and describes what he gave for good purposes is now broken. See, Eve was created for Adam. Eve was created for relationship. Eve was also to have dominion, to multiply, to fill the earth, and all of those things were affected. Now, do you remember what, we just read it earlier, what Eve's name meant? Adam named her, gave her name. What does it mean? We read it. The mother of all Right? And I, I bet you if I look down, I haven't done it yet. Perhaps there's going to be a footnote somewhere that tells me even. Right? E, there it is. Sounds like the Hebrew for life giver. Eve's, man, the first mom. Be fruitful, multiply. A lot rides on Eve in this scenario, and Adam. But she was to be the first mom. And so the effects that she is first given is this, pain in childbirth. Now you might sit there, you who are of our moms or experience that joy of childbirth, right? It, it's not a pleasant process. And you can't even fathom it being without pain or discomfort. But that's how it was supposed to be. See, childbirth was supposed to be a pleasant process. But now this effect strikes directly at what made the woman distinctive. She was the mother of all living things. That was a primary task that she had, right, to help uh, and care for all things with, with Adam. And now that very thing, her primary role, was now brought with pain. The fulfilling of God's command to fill the earth is now one that's clouded, that's overshadowed, not just for her, but for all women in the future. 
right? Kim's had four C-sections, right? And the first one wasn't scheduled. Right? That's after 20 hours of labor, Kim had a C-section. She got to experience both joys of those things. Right? And she could attest to you, just like many other women can, that it was not a pleasant process. Eve, the mother of all living things, the joy that comes with that birth was now brought with pain as well. Secondly, broken relationship. See, God's design for Adam and Eve was harmony. The two becoming one flesh was to unite them beyond the physical, but the soul level. Adam and Eve were meant to be connected deeply, united deeply. And now that harmonious relationship was going to be under strife. See, in God's design, the relationship was good. This married couple was not self-serving. There was trust there. There was good leadership by Adam and a trust that Eve had in Adam, that Adam's intentions were always good and always had Eve's best in mind. That's all Eve knew up to that point. That when Adam says, hey, this is what's good for us, there was just, okay. Because Adam would never want to lead me astray. Adam would never want to deceive Eve. Adam would never want to serve himself before he served Eve. There was complete trust there. Look, Adam is, is the pinnacle, right? Before Genesis 3. <laughs> like, I'm not like Adam at all. Like I ask him, let's not eat that because <laughs> I don't like that food. But she might love it. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, but I, I think it's gross. I, I mean, I'm, I'm self-serving. That's just a simple example. I can be easily self-serving. This will be a pathetic example for half, but when Kim goes away, I don't cook food. This is shocking to many of you, I'm sure, right? So last night, I was like, man, what, what should I get for dinner? I was like, well, I should get Chinese food. That makes perfect sense because Anne, my good friend down there, is great. And I should go see her. I haven't seen her in a while. And in a brief moment, I thought, I bet you Kim is not going to want to cook dinner tonight at all. And I don't want to cook dinner, that's for sure. Tonight when she comes home, I thought, I bet you will get Chinese food. Well, I don't want it two days in a row. So I got Pizza Factory instead. <laughs> Right? Isn't that, that's a brief moment where I thought, man, I just want to think about her for once, more than me. And I can eat Chinese every night. That's probably not a good life choice. Right? But Adam never had that struggle. Adam, previous to this point, was always, man, I just have my, my, my wife's best intentions. And Eve had complete trust that everything he was saying was trustworthy. It was good. And as a result of this, Willingness to disobey, that relationship is now fractured. And relationships in general, your relationships and my relationships, no longer function with the harmony and peace they were meant to function. In this situation, there's now two power struggles, I think, happening. See, there's at times where Eve will have the desire to directly oppose Adam. Adam will say, I think we should do this. And Eve will say, no, we shouldn't. We should do this. And not that there can't be healthy dialogue, but what that automatically shows is Eve does not trust Adam's leadership anymore. And Adam, 
will now abandon his God-assigned role to lead and to guard and to care for his wife and will instead seek to meet his own desires above her. See, relationships to this day are hard, even with godly couples, because they're made up of two sinful people. The rebellion that they had has now stretched its reach into every fabric of human life. I think it's not just married relationships, it's human relationships are now affected by all these things. How we interact with people, how we view each other, how we care for each other, even those we love most, is affected negatively by this choice. Because the reality is, as nice of a person that you might be, your motives are not always pure. We often have the desire to have our own needs met far before anybody else's needs are met. And you know what that is? That's sin playing its hand in our lives. That's relationships being broken. That is the result of Eve's disobedience and the consequence that God rolled out. What was once such a good and healthy thing is now struggle. There are joys in those things as well, right? Marriage, relationships in general, we know bring joy to our lives. But we have to work at them. Right? We've got an engaged couple here. That I've toyed with like the last five minutes of using it as, as an example, but I will. All right? Spring 2020, I don't remember the day, so that's what you're going to get. March, end of the month. All right? They'll be married. And they will begin a process of trying to understand how to just live peaceably together. Which way toilet paper goes, the seat goes up or down. What do you do with the toothpaste? Do you squeeze in the middle or push from the bottom? Right? And those are pretty simple things that some couples will get arguments about. I mean, I know I did it for sure, because you should never squeeze the tube in the middle. It makes no sense. And that's just minor. And then they'll become major things. And in any relationship, those things, even small or big, can, can begin to shake the bedrock of that relationship. And some couples will get to the point to say, what have I done? And others will learn how to work through those processes. But the fact that those situations arise, be it in a married couple or any friendship even, it's because of sin. It's because you and I are self-seeking more than we want to admit. It's because it's easier to play my own cards and to think what hand you have. I'll let you play yours first. Because I want to win. Sin, it reaches into everything. Lastly, Adam. What consequences were given to Adam? It seems to me that just kind of evaluating the process, God works outward, inward in this consequence process. Serpent, Eve, Adam, who was made to rule and to lead over creation as I believe the representative of God on earth. Well, first, the ground is now cursed. See, work that was once done with relative ease will now be hard. The work of growing food will now be laborsome. Now, don't forget, the garden when created, what what instructions were given to Adam? You can do what? Eat of what? Any of the fruit. He didn't say, Adam, go plant the fruit. It was there. Like, God provided it for him. Now, there's work to be done. 
Again, work was not the result of sin. Work was there prior because Adam was given roles to do. But now work will have to be done with the land. The work of growing food will be laborsome. And all work from that point on will now be difficult. See, work was meant to be a joy and a delight for humanity. Is now done out of necessity and likely done begrudgingly. And that truth remains today. Our work, our labor that we engage is now complete with obstacles, hurdles, and trials. Things are not simple. Oh, by the way, you have to work with people too. So they just told you that relationships are jacked up and your work's jacked up and now they're coming together. So this is going to be a great time. This is the result of sin. This is not what God intended. Work will be hard. The ground is cursed. Thorns and thistles are now surrounding this beautiful crop that you're trying to labor and to grow. Insects will eat the leaves. The seed will not take root. Things will not be profitable all the time. Work is hard. The ground is cursed because Adam chose to disobey. Number two, death now reigns. And don't miss that verbiage. Not exists, death now reigns. See, death did not exist in the created order. So from all vantage points, yeah, I think Adam and Eve, man, they had it. They were going to live on. There's no indication otherwise in the scriptures. But now we see mortality come into play. God says, from the dust that you will return from what I created you from. In the ultimate consequence, death, both spiritual and physical death, is now part of what it means to be alive. You and I know that. We understand that. Right? We know birth of a newborn. Innocent, precious, don't drop it. Right? New, all the potential in the world. And we understand funerals. We try to think of nice things. We try to celebrate. We try to remember well the life that was hopefully well lived from that innocent child to the grave. You and I know those things. That's the reality that you and I have always existed in. But that was not Adam and Eve's reality up to this point. There is spiritual death that takes place. There's a separation now from God. The brokenness of sin stretches its hand to the very core of humanity. And what was once glorious and harmonious, this relationship with God, is now broken. And that broken impacts you today and it impacts me today. You and I come with a brokenness in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Scriptures teach in Romans that Paul says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, implying that every life, even that new, precious, newborn child with all the potential in the world, is born sinful. No parent ever teaches their kid to say no. The innate rebellion is now there. It's breaking us, and it breaks our heart, and it breaks our relationship with our Heavenly Father. The consequences of Adam and Eve are far beyond their comprehension. 
I'm pretty confident Adam never considered me in his life. Or you, I'm sorry to disappoint. He never considered me. He never, no, there's no way. He had no concept of what the choices he was about to make would impact to the rest of humanity's history. Like, there are chasms of history that I don't know where they land. Like, I don't know where the Crusades land. I don't, I don't know where all these other battles land. And, and just history's timeline, I don't, I'm not really good at that. But I know this, that all those major wars and battles and empires and tyrants all exist because our world is broken. We grab after things and money and property and value. It's a result of sin. We think we want our needs met before anybody else. It's a result of sin. This life of tranquility, peace, and harmony that Adam and Eve experience is now one of painful, heartbreaking, hard work doing, living. And lastly, all this takes place for the final consequence, their departure from the garden. If it wasn't bad enough to know that their work would be hard, that having a child would be painful, they'll now do this outside of the tranquility of the Garden of Eden and outside of the presence of God walking amongst them throughout the day. So don't forget, in the garden was not only a tree of knowledge of good and evil, but also the tree of what? Life, thank you. And frankly, just simply put, God did not want sinful, broken creation to also eat of the tree of life and remain in its broken state forever. And so I actually think that God, in his grace, removes Adam and Eve from the garden when he does. Because he does not want sinfulness to always be there. And he knew that if they ate from the tree of life, it would continue on. Their brokenness would just go on. And so God, in his grace, even though it sounds awful and painful, says you need to depart from here. No different than the parent who has that 19-year-old child and says, it's time. We love you. We care for you. It's time to figure it out. No different here. It's actually grace in that sending out. And that mercy that God gives them in sending them out. God removes Adam and Eve from the garden. And the job of working the garden is now replaced with working the ground. The job of, the work of caring, sorry, for the peaceable, peaceful place is no longer Adam's concern. Adam was given the job to rule and reign in the garden to make sure it was cared for and taken care of. God sends him out, puts a chair from there to guard the garden. It's no longer Adam's concern. He'll never go back. But in all that, I submit that God shows his grace. In the fallen earthly kingdom, in the moment of despair and brokenness, God shows grace. Look at verse 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. He clothes them. He gives them the very simplistic thing that they need most in that very simple heartbreaking, abandoning moment. God provides in his love for them for their physical need. Don't forget, he doesn't just walk away from them. He just knows that they can no longer be present where he is in the intimate way that they once were. 
And he clothes them with what? Animal skin. And so now we begin to see a sacrifice actually was made from the animal so that they could be covered and cared for. That had never been done before. Adam and Eve were told to eat from every tree of the fruit, right? There was no need to kill animals prior to this point. Right? God begins to set even a new existence here. And despite their rebellion from God and their unwillingness to trust his words as good, God cares for them. He provides for them, and he covers them, not only physically, but I believe he also covers them with his grace and his mercy as they continue to go out. See, the choice of Adam and Eve, they broke the perfect place of God and his beloved creation. It's like whatever movie that you think of right now, I just, Chris and I and Maggie watched some Castaway last night. It was was a weird day. And I loved when we cast away. If you don't know the movie, Tom Hanks goes down on a plane crash, ends up on an island by himself for 1,500 days. Kim hates the movie. There's no talking. But it's fascinating. And as he leaves, at the end of the movie, he leaves to embark out. He's like, I've just got to try to get rescued. I've got to try it. He builds a raft and goes. He finally crests where the waves keep breaking, and he's able to get out into the ocean. And he looks back on that island. That's all he knew for 1,500 days with tears in his eyes. Because that had become his home. It's what he knew and cared for and trusted. He knew all the ins and outs. He knew the tides. He knew the ways. He knew the animals. He knew where to get what he needed. And as he goes out to the sea, tears come down his face. A very similar circumstance must have happened with Adam and Eve. In that moment, they're walking away. They must know they can never go back. They're on to a new thing that they don't understand with tears probably coming down their face. God continues to go with them. Though the human life experience will now be hard, animals will no longer live in harmony, earth will be hostile, relationships that we enjoy are now self-seeking and broken, death is now part of life. All of those things Within them all, there is hope. And it goes back to this. He will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. See, listen, church. God not once removed his hand of care and love and compassion off of his creation. The choices had consequences, but God was prepared to step into those consequences. We'll finish with this. Listen, God continues to do that for us today. You need to remind yourself of that. I need to remind myself of that daily. That God continues to be the true source of peace and joy and hope. And he showed that through Jesus. See, Jesus did come. His heel was bruised on the cross, but Satan did not win. See, Jesus on that cross was again providing for us. He took on the consequences of our sin, past present, and future. And Jesus, though his heel was bruised, the grave is empty, and the hope of death that Satan desired for Jesus was not obtained. If you remember all about that story, it says about Judas, when Judas went to sell Jesus for silver, it says Satan came into him. And Satan even then was still trying to stop what God was putting forth in motion. And that could not be undone because God declared it in the garden that it would happen. And God will remain faithful to his word.
the resurrection of Christ shows that God has the power to save. Our lives have consequences, but God continues to provide for us in the broken areas of our lives. Go to the next slide, Mike. C.S. Lewis said this, though our feelings come and go, God's love for us does not. That's so true. And even that, our feelings with God, we feel like they come and go. We feel like our relationships come and go. Look, God's love, when you are in Christ, does not come and go. And so I would man, remind you this morning, life is hard. Like, that's an okay feeling. I'm not sure adulting is a real thing, by the way. That's just called life. And it's going to be challenging. Relationships are going to be tricky. There's going to be suffering. You need to hear that, especially if you're younger. There will be suffering. Physical, emotional, spiritual. If you are in Christ, they said, actually, that's going to be upped even more. (laughs) Our choices, they have dire consequences as well. But in all of this, God continues in his care for us. See, he's not left us in a broken kingdom without a good king. God is still king. He's still a good king. And he still cares for you and for me today. He showed that in Christ. And he will one day come again. He will fully crush the head of the serpent. The kingdom will no longer be fallen, but will be fully restored. And my life, your life, will no longer be hard and full of heartache. So I've got to beg you, again, if you do not know Christ, you've got to know Jesus. You've got to trust him as your Savior. Because he loves you and he's a good God and he cares for you. He showed that in the giving of Jesus for you. And if you know Christ, as you wait for him to come again, with the new heavens and the new earth where things will be great, and whatever you picture in your mind of that new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem, all those things, Like, just stop, because you can't even touch how great it's going to be. As you wait, cling to the one who still provides, who still forgives, and who still makes us whole through knowing him. Let's pray. God, this is so important for our lives today. So important that that we consider what it would mean to just trust in you, to to cling to you, to trust in your goodness beyond our circumstance. Like Adam and Eve certainly had to do that. They had to trust that you were good, even though their reality was instantly changed. God, it's so easy to forget that or to just walk away from that. But Lord, I ask that you would uh, just remind us of that today, of your goodness. Your care for us is shown ultimately in Christ, but also in the, such the simple ways that you care for us, the ways you provide for us, and most of all, how you provided for us in Christ. Amen.